who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Some of you may think a podcast about representation, it's not for me. But if you're a human being, then the podcast Reppin is for you, because we all represent something as people. So are you interested in knowing what you have in common with your favorite actors, to best-selling authors, and leaders in different genres? On Reppin, you'll meet notable people you think you know, You'll see what they show up for, and you'll see what they represent. It's an insightful, feel-good show, hosted by me, Evelyn. So come and take a listen. Reppin is available wherever you get your podcasts. Ugh, another pointless video call where nothing gets done. I think you're on mute, David. Uh, oh, sorry, what did I miss? IT just approved Miro for the whole company. Miro? That's the... Online whiteboard. For team collaboration, we can make these long video meetings so much shorter with Miro boards. We can share ideas, feedback, and updates on them whenever. Actually see what we're talking about? It's all online. Miro will make our flexible work setup so much easier. With one virtual space for our brainstorms, projects, presentations. Oh, that sounds kind of amazing. So I don't need to wake up for 6 a.m. calls with the London office anymore. Now you're getting it. Don't let time zones get in the way of your team working well together. See why 99% of the Fortune 100 trust Miro to get good work done from anywhere. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Hey, sweetie, what do you think of our new car from Carvana? Think it can handle our busy family? Well, we have seven days to see. First, we can take the scenic route to the beach and stargaze through the moonroof. We'll see if your drums fit in the trunk. Then we can pick up Mommy's friends and check out that leg room. And we should really visit Grandma. She's getting up there. That's like a whole lifetime in seven days. And like one busy family. With our seven-day money-back guarantee, you can confidently shop for cars 100% online. Visit Carvana.com for all terms and conditions. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of The Geek Buddies! Hey, 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 hey. So, as 
you can see, this is a very special episode of the Geek Buddies because we are missing one of our Geek Buddies and our fearless leader, John Roca the Outlaw. Uh, as some of you may know, John Roca uh, bravely and valiantly fought off COVID only to have it turn into a bit of bronchitis. Uh, so he is out and the inmates are running the asylum. So today... And I guess that is Shannon running the asylum right there. That is, uh, that is, you just having a, you having a good time there, buddy? You oh, I was, I've been planning that all morning. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, I am Michael Vogel, a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And Shannon? this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer, where for right now, I have a job working on Strawberry Shortcake, burying the big city, depending on how today goes. We'll see if I still have it. Uh, yeah, before we dive into everything, uh, we want to thank uh, our sponsor, Carbon Health, up there in the corner. Um, Carbon Health uh, has 110 locations nationwide, 80 locations in California, Bay Area, Los Angeles, Sacramento, San Diego. Uh, they have all the needs you need for any medical uh, emergencies, any medical situations, um, advanced care at most of their urgent care facilities, testing and treatment for everything from strep throat to STDs to COVID. Uh, they are one of the top primary care uh, locations in California. Uh, you can get a doc in your pocket, carry them around with you. Um, and we really encourage everybody to uh, check out Carbon Health because there is a lot of COVID still out there. Um, and we love Carbon Health and they love us because they believe that everyone deserves a healthcare provider who is an active partner supporting you in your efforts to feel better and live a healthier life. Uh, so we love them. They love us. And we're very happy that they are with us, especially because we're down one outlaw today. So uh, <laughs> obviously COVID is clearly still a thing. So um, we appreciate Carbon Health and we hope you guys all check them out. Now, if you guys are uh, returning buddies here at the Geek Buddies, then welcome back. And if you are first-time Geek Buddies, welcome. We're glad you're here. And here's how things work. Usually, we have three Geek Buddies, and we do three Geek News topics, and then we take a break and dive into our main topic. Today, we have two, two Geek Buddies, so we're going to do two Geek Topics, but one is kind of supersized, and then we're going to dive into our main topic, which is discussing the state of affairs uh, at DC, what the future of DC holds, and apparently what I would do if I was running DC, because John decided to tweet that out. <laughs> well, and, and not just John, but a lot of but a lot of our uh, a lot of our audience has said that as well. You know, we've we've listened to uh, uh, Vogel opine over the years on on the things that could be done, the things that should be done. And today we're just putting the spotlight on him to see what he would do if he were to step into this job as the the head of D.C. So we're kind of giving Vogel it, it blue sky here. We're not going to throw all of the. Uh, complicatedness like well what if they what if they're low budget what if it's high budget what if it's this what if it's that we're just saying michael vogel you're in charge of the dc films what do you do from here on in but i think before we get to that vogel is back from burning man vogel real quick how was the desert this year the desert was hard <laughs> uh i will say that i have been to burning man 12 times and this trip is not in my top 10 um it was a tough one it was hot it was dusty. There were complications. Uh, any trip at Burning Man is always a valuable trip. It's always a fascinating thing to go out into the desert and live uh, like you are in a Mad Max movie for a few days. And that is definitely what it felt like. Um, definitely some good times. Definitely some fun adventures. But on the whole, this was a tough one. If you are in um, Southern California right now, you know that it is very, very hot. 
Um, but if you are living in the city, you can find air conditioning. You cannot find that in the desert. So between that and uh, epic, epic dust storms, there was one night that I was out with some friends. We thought we were going to look at some art. But we got caught in a dust storm and ended up walking our bikes through six feet of visibility and just followed music until we found the city again. And it was a harrowing journey, um, one that I would not like to repeat. So we will see what the future holds for Mike Vogel and Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, shall we, shall we jump into the show here, Mikey? We absolutely should, Shannon. Let's do this thing. I believe you are kicking us off today. With trailers, trailers. Trailers. Really, it's just two trailers, but it just feels unnatural not to say three. So this morning, the first trailer dropped for Glass Onion, a Knives Out, a Knives Out mystery. So this is the the uh, uh, sequel to Knives Out that starred uh, Daniel Craig from Ryan Johnson that came out a few years ago, really kind of took the box office by storm. Um, just a throwback to these great old star-studded mysteries. And in the interim... They knew they were going to do another one. Uh, they made a deal with Netflix. So now these movies, uh, a, a second part and a third part, they're going to Netflix. So today we got our first look. And again, just like the first one, this is this is a star-studded cast. Joining Daniel Craig, we got Jessica Henwick, we got Edward Norton, we got Dave Bautista, we've got Janelle Monae, we got Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, um, Catherine Hahn. And based off this first trailer, again, it looks like it, it is clearly cut from the same cloth. I mean, it just looks like it's going to be a blast. I mean, it's a short trailer, but we definitely get um, the location change. This one, they're going to be on, it looks like an island in Greece. And yeah, I just thought this one looked great. But Michael, what did you think? Our first look at Glass Onion. It was really funny. Watching the trailer, I remember when we reviewed the trailer for Knives Out when it came out. and No one really knew what it was. The trailer came out and we were all really excited about it. Um, and now watching this one, getting more of the same, I, the thing that I was really struck by was that I think Ryan Johnson has landed on a formula that the murder on the Orient Express and death on the Nile want to be, but aren't quite. Um, I mean, I think with both of these movie franchises, you sort of have the, here's a mystery, here's a star-studded cast, here, let's watch it unravel. But whereas, I think, like, Murder on the Orient Express, and particularly Death on the Nile, didn't really um, land for audiences, even though they're based on those classic Agatha Christie stories, Ryan Johnson, kind of writing and directing these original stories, something feels more fresh and exciting about them, something feels a little bit different. Particularly with Knives Out, there was a lot of commentary on um, our society on the whole, on class, on rich versus poor, on liberal versus conservative. Uh, and there was really something more than just, here's a star-studded mystery. So I kind of hope that he continues in that vein with this movie and that he gives us a star-studded mystery that's a really great whodunit that's hard to figure out, but that there's a little bit more there there. Um, and if he does, this franchise beats the other one. Like, I think we have a new contender for best sort of uh, modern-day movie mystery franchise, and I'm really feeling like it's this one. Yeah, I, you know, I totally agree with you. I mean, it looks like there might even be some sort of musical sequence. Like, when when they're going through the cast, you see Kate Hudson in in uh, what looks like it could be the finale of some sort of musical sequence. We've got uh, Dave Bautista rocking what looks like uh, some some uh, trunks from his old WWE days while shooting a pistol in the air. We have Catherine Hahn dropping a holy shit. I mean, it just looks like it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be a blast. And the the one, 
uh, yeah, I don't know if a critique, but the one hang up for me is, man, this is something that I would have loved to have seen in a theater. Um, this is the type of movie that I think is just built for sort of communal viewing. I remember when we saw Knives Out in the theater and it was just so much fun to not only enjoy the story that's being presented, but also to feel the energy of everyone else. This, this packed audience seeing that. So on occasion, Netflix movies do come out in the theater like a week ahead of time. I don't think that that will be the case with this. I think they probably will say that it is coming out on December 23rd. So it is sort of an early Christmas gift. Um, but I'm really crossing my fingers that we get, because you know they, Netflix does have a theater here. Uh, my, my fingers are crossed that maybe they will show it and that we'll get to do a big group viewing. I don't, you know, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying and it's definitely a bigger conversation, but I think that it doesn't bother me. As, I love going to the movies. As you know, we've been doing it since we were freshmen in college, but I love going to movies. I love seeing a movie on the big screen. But now that we have a lot of these kind of really big movies with big name directors, with big stars in the cast, like coming out on streaming services, I kind of dig that too. I, I enjoy it. I mean, we're going to talk about Disney uh, Disney Plus Day in a little bit, but I kind of enjoyed waking up and realizing that the brand new Pinocchio is on my TV and I can watch it when I'm done with all my meetings for the day. Like, there's something kind of nice about having um, that movie level uh, quality just delivered to the comfort of your home. Now, is that going to destroy movie theaters forever? I think we've been talking about that on Geek Buddies since the pandemic started. I, I don't know, but uh, that one doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. But okay. I mean, if you want to go see it in a theater, I'll absolutely go do it. So don't <laughs> don't not invite me. I, I I see watching me watching a movie with you means more to me than it does to you. Okay. Anywho. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of things that we can watch at home, oh, also Glass Onion, December twenty third on Netflix. Um, we got the trailer for uh, Tulsa King. So this is a Paramount Plus series. This is from Taylor Sheridan of Yellowstone, eighteen eighty three. Um, Hell or High Water fame, and it's starring uh, Sylvester Stallone. Like, I thought this trailer, hearing the concept of this, I was like, that is going to be an absolute home run, or it's going to look like one of those Sylvester Stallone movies uh, prior to uh, Rocky Balboa, when he was sort of kind of like, he'd pop up in a movie here, he'd pop up in a movie there. Um, but this one is about a uh, a former... a. Uh, uh, Mafia, uh, I think it was a capo. Is that the, is that the term? A, a former mafia capo who's been in prison. He gets out. He he went to prison because he you know he didn't snitch. Like he he did the he did the honorable mafia thing, and um, comes out expecting the world to be one way, and then he gets sent off to Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, by the by the the you know the the people in charge, and basically what he does. As this, you know, uh, basically setting up a criminal shop in Tulsa. Um, so Taylor Sheridan, um, I think, is probably one of the best writers out there right now. I've been very fortunate that I've been auditioning for one of his series, which I won't name here because they've yet to cast me. But they keep calling me and it's breaking my heart. <laughs> Vogel has, has had to hear this so many times. But this show looks, I mean, it just looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh uh, Vogel, what did you think of our uh, first look at the uh, Tulsa King? The main thing I think is I'm really sad John's not here today because uh, this <laughs> this trailer has John Roca the Outlaw written all over it. I mean, I'm watching this trailer and I'm like, yeah, I'll check this out. But I know that John Roca loves this trailer. Like yes. I don't even like 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 he's definitely on board with this. Uh, I think it looks great. I agree. I think Sylvester Stallone has reached this point that I love it 
when actors and actresses reach this point where their acting has reached what I like to call the I give no fucks acting. Like they've been through it. They've been through the good. They've been through the bad. They've had those projects that failed. They've had those projects that went great. And they've just reached a point in their careers where they're just very comfortable doing what they're doing. And they're just barely even acting anymore. It just looks like they're existing on camera, which is kind of what you want ideally as a performer. Uh, and that's how Sylvester Stallone looks here. You're just kind of like, yeah, he is just Stalloning all over and it looks delightful. Um, yeah, it's a little bit, it felt a little bit get shorty. It felt a little bit like the serious version of My Blue Heaven. Like there was a little bit of everything in there. Um, but yeah, it looks fun. I mean, if, if the, if the show manages to capture that vibe that's in the trailer of Stallone just having an absolute blast playing this role, I think it'll be a lot of fun. And to my point about uh, things on streaming, whoever thought we'd get a TV series with Sylvester Stallone in it? <laughs> it's kind of great. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's not really necessarily like my main cup of tea the way it is yours or maybe Johnny's cup of tea of the whole like uh, the mafia, the Stallone of it all, whatever. But uh, definitely something I will tune into. And at, it, least at, the, uh, at least at the beginning. Oh, you're going to watch the whole thing. <laughs> this show, It's we'll going to be good. We'll see. It's going to be good. Well, and, and they have an impressive supporting cast as well. Like Andrea Savage is popping up in this. Martin Starr from Silicon Valley. Um, it, it just looks like it's going to be it. It's it's a great just sort of fish out of water story. And as Vogel said, with sort of the acting style of Sylvester Stallone, Stallone's always been a great actor. I mean, you know, he he kind of got lost in the 80s when he was becoming you know, the action star, but he really is a tremendous, tremendous performer. And all you need to do is watch, you know, either the Creed movies, watch, you know, the latest Rocky Balboa. I mean, he, he's a, he's a dynamic, dynamic performer and watching him get to play this role, I, I think is going to be an absolute joy. And this comes out uh, November 12th on Paramount plus. And like, if you haven't checked out Paramount plus, um, I, it is low key becoming one of my more favorite streamers. I mean, they have some great, great, like I'm not a Star Trek guy, but they've got all the Star Trek series. They have the offer, which was about the making of the Godfather, which was a really, really fantastic limited series. So, um, you know, come November 12th, they've sign got drag up for- race. They've got drag race. There you go. They've got, and they've got all the Nickelodeon content. If you have, if you have, you know, younger ones at home. So yes, uh, November 13th, for uh, Paramount Plus, that's when we will get to see Sylvester Stallone in Tulsa King. So now we are going to try to take a little break. <laughs> we'll see if I can do this correctly. John gave me the oh, tutorial. We, here we go. We're, we're, we're going to cross our fingers. Uh, what are we going to talk about next, Mike? Because honestly, this is where I would hum a theme, but I don't remember. So what are we talking okay. about next? Well, we are going to do sort of a state of uh, state of geekdom and talk about uh, how we're feeling about Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, how we're feeling about House of the Dragon, and also talk about that new uh, nine-minute uh, behind-the-scenes Andor thing that dropped this morning on Disney Plus uh, for Disney Plus Day. All right, you heard it here, and we'll be right back. No, I threw that in there. I threw the force theme in there. Okay. Just back okay. off. Okay. Okay. 
Uh, well, like I said before the break, uh, we realized that in the past few weeks it's been a little bit crazy. I've been uh, running around half naked in the desert. John Roca, I assume, has been running around half naked in his apartment, going stir crazy because he's got COVID. Uh, and so it's been a little bit hard for all of us to be together to do the reviews. And it just happens to be coming at a time where we are just getting flooded with an absolute ton of geek content. We are back in Westeros. We are back in Middle Earth. And uh, in a few weeks, we're about to be back in a galaxy far, far away in a very big way. So uh, knowing that we kind of missed a few reviews uh, and knowing that once Johnny is feeling better, we're going to try and get back on track and give you full spoiler reviews for a lot of these things. We thought today we'd just take a minute and talk about how we're feeling about kind of all of these things. Like I said, we've got uh, the latest installment of House of the Dragon this past Sunday. Um, we've got we had the first two episodes of Rings of Power are now on Amazon um, on, on Amazon Prime. And in addition to that, uh, for Disney Plus Day, in addition to Thor Love and Thunder now being on Disney Plus, in addition to the new live action Pinocchio, uh, new Cars animated series, they also released a nine minute behind the scenes look at Andor, which actually had uh, some really nice new stuff, a uh, nice extended scene for us to chew on. So wanted to talk about all of that. Um, let's start things off with. House of the Dragon. It's been out the longest. So um, we've talked about House of Dragon a little bit. We did a spoiler review a few weeks ago, kind of talking about how we felt about the return to Westeros. Um, but we've had two episodes since then. And Shannon, how are you feeling now that we're a little bit more, not quite to the halfway point of the season, but we're definitely um, into the meat of the story at this point? Well, it, along with Lord of the Rings, especially coming out of Comic-Con, because those were not panels that we that we, that we we attended. So... Watching all of the marketing material for House of the Dragon, um, I was kind of like, yeah, it could be good. I mean, I'm sort of emotionally divested from Game of Thrones because of that last season. Um, so it was like, uh, production-wise, it, it looks incredible. They have, they have a tremendous cast. Um, now, three episodes in, I'm really, really digging it. I mean, they did a great job in that first episode, which we did talk about, of sort of laying out a very easy to digest story in that you it, it's it's a time when we don't know who the heir is going to be like it started with this with Jaharis all his sons died so then it went to hit two of his grandkids and it's like do we give it to the eldest who was a woman or do we give it to the oldest uh oldest boy and they left it up to the you know the lords uh, of of Westeros and they picked they picked Viserys, the guy. So flash forward however many years, and now we see that it's kind of a similar situation, is that his, his wife is pregnant, he does he has a daughter. Right now the heir would be his uh, younger brother, who is uh, uh, Damon, who is tremendously being played by Matt Smith. And that first episode concludes with him picking his daughter, uh, Rhaenyra. Now going into the second and third episode, it's funny how... All things Westeros has those moments of, ah, is this too far? And, you know, and we, we discussed at great length the, the birthing scene, which for me, I'm kind of like, I get why you, I get why you needed that in the story, but do I think you needed to go that graphic? No. I, I don't know what that got you. And, you know, based off our audience's comments, they were kind of split down the middle. Like some people were like, no, that's, that's absolutely, I, I, and a lot of, a lot of women who were like, no, that's, that, that worked. Um, now, <laughs> with uh, uh, Viserys's wife gone, like, it's like he has to remarry. Like he has to potentially produce more heirs. And the bride, or, or one of the potential brides that they choose for him, is his cousin's husband's daughter. 
who yes, is correct about 11 <laughs> yeah 10 or 11 and watching the two of them like you see them walking and having a conversation and this was definitely one of those moments of ah now now we have read about stuff like this that has happened in history um and it's a little you know <laughs> it's a it, it's it's one thing to read it it's another thing to watch it and so there was definitely that moment of like, oh, my God, is this the way they're going? But you can see as they're talking how much he is uh, how much he is responding to Allison Hightower, who is the daughter of his hand, Otto. Um, the show's just done a great job of getting you invested in these characters and their mm -hmm. stories right away. And going into episode three, watching um, sort of this separation between him and Renera him trying to connect with his daughter, trying to find her a husband and whether or not she actually will be the heir. I'm really digging the show. Like I'm, I'm actually surprised I'm enjoying it this much because even like when I started watching game of Thrones, beautiful production value, but I mean, it's a dense, it was a dense story. So there's a, and there's a lot of names that sound similar. Um, you know, a lot of folks had read those books, so they were, you know, probably loving it right off the bat. When you're being introduced to this world, it's a little, it, it can be a little difficult to follow. I'm much more into house of the dragon thus far than I was at game of Thrones. And that's not because of a deficiency in game of Thrones in season one. It was because it was just so difficult to kind of get ensconced in that world. But thus far I'm really enjoying house of the dragon. Yeah, I think House of the Dragon benefits from the fact that, kind of to your point, like I, I was one of those people who had read, uh, read Game of Thrones prior to the show coming out. So when the show came out, I had at least a base level of knowledge of what was going on. So it was easier to track who was who and what was going on. I think this show benefits from the fact that most people watching this show watched some, at least some of Game of Thrones. And so all of us have a little bit more of an understanding of Westeros. We kind of know location. So even though they're throwing in some new characters, some new houses, some new things, like we all have that base level of understanding. And I think they just hit the ground running with a really easy to grasp story. Like who is going to be the heir? Like who is going to sit on the Iron Throne? Which is really at the core of what any Game of Thrones story is. All of Game of Thrones was about who is going to sit on the Iron Throne. So... You know, you got you've got an Iron Throne. You want to know who's going to sit on it. You got a badass blonde with her dragons. Like they've done a really great job. We talked about this, I think, when we did the spoiler review of giving us all the things that feel like Game of Thrones. I think Lord of the Rings does a very similar thing. So when we get to that, we'll talk about it. But they're giving us all the things we expect out of a Game of Thrones. So it, there's that familiarity that we're like, "Yep, this checks the box. This is it." But they're giving it to us in a brand new way with brand new characters. In a way that, like, I think there's going to be some big surprises. Uh, I think there's going to be some interesting twists and turns. I mean, already, the relationship between um, Rhaenyra and Alicent in the first episode and the relationship between Rhaenyra and Alicent in the third episode, that that escalated quickly, as they say. Like, that, that you know, so, like, they've just done a really nice job of following the story. And Rhaenyra is really compelling. Like, she doesn't feel to me like a... Daenerys stand-in. It doesn't feel yeah. to me like, oh, okay, well, okay, this is the Daenerys. Like, she really is an interesting character with some very interesting struggles of her own. And I'm really curious to see where this goes. I will say that for me, I think one of the most interesting characters is uh, Viserys. Mm -hmm. uh, they've done a really nice job with him of he's neither good guy nor bad guy. He's just a... Uh, a king who's probably not the best king who's trying to do his best, and he's acting the absolute shit out of it. Like, you know, like, they, they walk this fine line of, like, 
oh, I'm the dad and you have to get married and I have to marry you off. And everybody expects me to have my my son, who is now my firstborn son, be the heir. And you're like, oh, he's going to like totally skip over Rhaenyra's now. But then he doesn't want to skip over Rhaenyra's and he kind of like tells the Lannister guy off. Like, like he just, they do such a lovely job of like just when you think they're sending this character in one direction, he does something that sort of balances out. You're like, oh, he's not such a bad guy. And then you're like, okay, I think I'm on his side. And then he'll do something that's kind of shitty. And right. just watching him struggle with being – a subpar king who probably doesn't deserve to be king um, is just, to me, a new thing that we haven't seen. Like Robert Baratheon in Game of Thrones, arguably also not a guy who could be king, but really all he wanted to do was drink and fuck and have parties. Like he was like he was like your favorite frat brother that got to be king and you're like, all right, I'll give it to you. Viserys just feels like you just feel the weight of this crown on him and you're like, man, you ain't it, buddy. Like the conf- Rhaenyra, the Rhaenyra or yeah, and like well, and and like to have a show where both Rhaenyra and Damon are way more compelling, and whether Damon would be a good king or not would definitely make the most of it in a way that his brother does not. I mean, so like I think having this sort of uh, uh, lame duck. Uh, king in the middle of all of this other stuff just kind of reinforces the importance of like choosing the right heir. So I think that's a great scene. And then the other thing that I've been really pleasantly surprised by, it's a little thing, but I really enjoy it is the dragon design. Mm. Like they're like, they've really, now that we're in an era of Westeros where there are more dragons, um, they're not skimping on the, uh, the design aesthetic. They're not just kind of going, okay, well, this is what dragons in Westeros look like. Let's like recolor them. Like Damon's dragon has a completely different shape. It's this long skinny dragon that twists in different ways. And so just the opportunity to see all these different kinds of dragons, uh, is something else that I think they're really, really doubling down on. And I think it's working for them. Okay. So three questions for you and then we'll, then, then we can move on. Um, but with Allison and Renera, especially in the first episode, did you get a romance vibe from Renera, or did you get more just a platonic? Because at this point, we think like Allison, okay, she's a she's a player within the system. She's going to do what she has to do more, mainly at the command of her father. But I definitely got, especially when at at the end of episode, uh, uh, the end of episode two, when he says that he's going to marry Allison, I definitely got that vibe of Renera. This is not only her friend marrying her father. This is the person she loved marrying someone else. I did not get that vibe. So that's really interesting. I didn't usually I'm the first one to be like queer, <laughs> queer, queer. Um, but I did not. No, I did not get that vibe at all. Like I, I completely felt that that was a um, you are my best friend and I confide in you and I tell you everything and then you went and married my dad and pulled the rug out from under me. And now I can't trust you as my friend. And so I feel like I've lost my best friend and confidant and I don't know who to talk to. Like that's, that's how I read it, but I could see it going either way. Like I, I think that is a completely valid read and particularly given the fact that Renera, I mean, you know, I don't know how far they're going to go into this, but is it true that throughout history, there were women and men who were, uh, who, who needed to marry for political reasons, who, had no desire to marry somebody of the opposite gender. And Rhaenyra, I, I think thus far, like, her goal is, like, she's a badass. She wants to go fight and do major things. And uh, could she be queer? And could that be a part of why she doesn't want to marry? Absolutely. I'll be interested to see where we go. But if she wasn't, I think it's still equally as compelling. I do, because, like, I also think, like, 
they're setting up her and the guy from Dorne. Her, uh, yes. her, the guy who what's what's his name? Um, I, I'm literally can, looking it up right now because I couldn't remember. The gold cloak, the hottie, hottie, hottie gold cloak. That's what I call him. Hottie, hottie gold cloak. Uh, Sir Kristen. Sir, Sir Kristen. Kristen. Cole. Like, there's definitely a potential like romantic vibe there as well uh, in the third episode where they were like out together and then like killed that boar. Also, I want to get you all these questions. I do want to say. They they have doubled down on her being a badass, and it works for me. In episode two, when Otto Hightower goes to get that egg from Damon, and just, like, it is a standstill, and then she just rolls up in her dragon and is like, well, I did some shit. And I was like, well, okay, that's, that's like, the most badass thing. When she rolls up into the whole hunt party scene, bloody as shit, particularly, like, Viserys stabbing that stag in episode mm-hmm. three is so pitiful. Yeah, it's it's just such a all right, King, come and stab this thing and whatever, and then to have her walk in just bloodied, dragging that boar, and everybody looks at her, and you're like, dude, I am fully in on this show. Uh, what's your next question? Okay, so thoughts, feelings on them using the original Game of Thrones opening a theme for the opening credits. Literally looked at my brother after the after we got back from Burning Man. We watched the two episodes, and I go. This is smart. This is smart. It's a it's a it's a banger theme. It has always been a banger theme and I think that much like uh much like the Star Wars theme, much like, you know, there's just certain movies where there are themes that you're just like, I want this theme and I always want this theme. Like, could could they have done a different theme that was equally as beautiful and compelling sure, but I think opening with that music reminds you that this is a Westeros is there is a history to Westeros and we are jumping in at a different era but again just like giving us the Iron Throne just like giving us the Targaryens and their dragons like they are reminding us that we're giving you something new but we're also giving you what you want (laughs) speaking of the Iron Throne I'll get to my last question in just a moment but speaking of the Iron Throne especially when you see how banged up Viserys is like eh, maybe we put a cushion on that Maybe put a cushion. Like not so many, not so many sharp edges on this seat that you have to sit on every day. That's um, the, but that's the thing. I mean, like, I th- and I think they do make a point of this in the first Game of Thrones. A it's point? Like, ah! <laughs> Jesus God! Thought we, I thought we would get through this whole episode without any of those, but. Uh... <laughs> wow! Oh, John's gonna hate this. <laughs> Um, no, but I do think they do make a point of the fact that that is part of it. Like that, uh, you know, when you sit on the Iron Throne, if the Iron Throne cuts you, you don't got what it takes. And Viserys having, um, the cuts and scrapes that he gets from sitting on that throne is very intentional. (laughs) And last question. So this is the one part and, and, and I could change and my, my opinion might change depending on how they use this character going forward. But in my opinion, the one casting choice that they've made that I thought was, eh, was for uh, Jason Lannister. I've never seen a Lannister, like he just does, he didn't have that swagger that Tywin and Jamie and Tyrion and Cersei all had. Like he, he had a, he had kind of a scraggly beard, which I was like, okay, Tywin, had a beard, but it was more like the stubble beard. Like he does not look, he does not feel like a Lannister to me. And they're, they're projecting a lot of like, well, what his, you know, his ego has an ego. And I'm like, oh, I sense that from this guy. Like I was expecting someone a little, a, a bit more of a smoother operator. Um, 
so that one really that one really bumped me. But what did you? What, it, it did this bump not, you? It didn't bump me, but I mean, now that you're saying it, I don't disagree with you. Like he, I mean, as a Lannister, you know, he show it's it's kind of a tough thing to, to pull off because we want a Lannister to be a Lannister, but in the way that he was used in the episode, he showed up and got dressed down twice. Right. Like, Rhaenyra dresses him down, and then he goes and talks to the king, who dresses him down again. And so it's like, it's hard to say to an actor, we need you to have this swagger and be confident and be arrogant and be all these things, but also you need to react to the fact that you get the rug pulled out from under you two times in, like, 15 minutes. Um, So I think that... I'm interested to see where everything goes with the Lannisters. Um, but yeah, I don't think I don't think you're wrong. I don't think he necessarily when you look at like Tywin, uh even Tyrion and Jamie and Cersei, you're kind of like, yeah, I don't know if you quite stack up to that. That is a that's a, it's, a it's quite a family to live up to. <laughs> um but and speaking of living up to though, I also just want to say like uh Matt Smith is doing the Lord's work as Damon Targaryen. Woo! Uh yeah, I think that just watching him, whether it be kind of stealing the egg and having that confrontation with Otto Hightower in episode two, or just realizing that his brother is coming to save the day in their battle with the the crab guy. Crab uh, feeder. Cra- the crab feeder. And just fucking going for it by himself so that he can take the win. I mean, like, that was, that was pretty epic. So, uh... What like I, I think I said this in our spoiler review. I think what we think is going to happen with him is not going to happen with him. Like I think like some people, are like, oh, he's going to be the big villain. It's going to be him versus Rhaenyra. And I'm like, I don't know that that's what's going to happen. Um, I'm very curious. Like I, he's such a compelling character. Um, and again, the, to your point, that's what's awesome about this show is within three episodes after us being done with Westeros, we have. Just gotten right back into, ooh, who's going to be this? And I think this, and what is Otto Hightower up to? And what is he going to make his daughter do next? And that is what you want people to be doing when they're watching Game of Thrones. Well, and also, like, it was announced that uh, uh, Miguel Sapochnik um, is stepping away, at, like, for, for season two. But uh, Ryan Condal, who is the co-creator with George R.R. R. Martin, is still going to be there. So that that i remember seeing that headline like house of dragon showrunner stepping down i'm like oh no <laughs> already it's just like westeros um but uh but knowing that mainly as a director he's like i want to go do other stuff like i did a season of this now um but anything else to say on house of the dragon no i'm just really looking forward to where it goes next i'm really excited shall we move on to middle earth um, we shall move on to Middle Earth. What, uh, how are you feeling? Uh, let me ask you some questions, Shannon. Um, as one of the more diminutive members of the Geek Buddies, how are you feeling about a return to Middle Earth? Boy, if I'd had the Matrix thing pulled up, I'd have, that is zipped you like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, thus far, two episodes in, I-, I rewatched them. They are visually stunning. Like, all of the you know billion dollars that they're spending on this show, it is all up there on the screen. Um, because I was not an avid uh, Tolkien reader, like I know a lot of folks who did not just Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, but the Similarian. Is that how you say it? Similarian. Um, That's yeah, I think the second one is right. Similarian. There, sure. Let's go with that. Sounds great. Well, I mean, watch. Uh, looking at some of my friends who are big Tolkien people, who are like, "Oh, I'm seeing these names that I never, you know, from the books and all this stuff." So, I mean, the that's not really hitting me as much. 
Um, it, it's, it's a visually just a gorgeous, gorgeous world. Um, I have no issues with, with any of the characters, with any of the actors. Um, it's just sort of, it's, it's very much like, I, I, I was kind of thinking it's like, it's like the first season of Boardwalk Empire. Like, it's this has the the pace of an HBO show, an old school HBO show like Boardwalk Empire. I didn't get into that show until episode seven of ten in the first season. Like I remember, I you know I like really like Steve Buscemi, so I'm like I'm gonna keep watching this. And you know it, it is so it, it's such a nice looking show, but at this point the story has not really kicked into high gear for me yet. At least I mean we have our we have our you know cosmic. Starman, who is that Gandalf? Is that Saruman? Like, like I don't know how old these people are, so I don't know. Like, was Gandalf? Around? I think it's. Da- I just think it's David Bowie. You think? Oh, okay, <laughs> it's David Bowie. <laughs> um, but the I, I think the the Galadriel character is awesome. Like that whole opening with the ice troll, I thought that was fantastic and i hope we get back to that soon um i really especially in episode two really loved the relationship between elrond and durin like the whole sequence like i imagine john was losing his mind at that part because john loves the dwarves um but just watching that conversation on the elevator and the the line that he had that like i get that 20 years goes by in, in the blink of an eye for an elf but in that time i lived a whole life like that is to me that is such great writing and it's it's this it's a friendship that i think we all we all understand um i love the one elf is it a a um i think so yeah the one who's who's kind of hanging out with the humans who clearly that's probably his kid (laughs) um uh i really like that character there's there's some there's something about that actor that is so magnetic that as soon as he like even just seeing him in the trailers, I'm like, I'm I think I'm going to be interested in that guy and watching this relationship that he has with the humans and getting that. It's uh, the right term that discrimination, I guess, that the that, humans that, that would be the right term. Yes. <laughs> like calling him knife ears, calling him pointy ears like watching that dynamic is really interesting. And again, not having been a huge Tolkien person, like I know by the time we get to Lord of the Rings that there is a distrust between the races of, of Middle Earth, um, but not to the point that the elves had sort of uh, uh, injected themselves into their lives and they're like, you know, we want you to go. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really interesting setup right now. Um, but as I finished episode two for the first time, I'm like, I don't know if this is really going to have the rewatch value. Like it's not, it's just not, it's not grabbing me right now, but I went ahead and watched them both again and I do like them, but not that it's a competition, but house of the dragon to me is the thing that's, that's clicking for me a little bit more. It, I, I like them both in different ways. Uh, I know that's not uh, the, that's the political answer, but like I, I think that I do think Lord of the Rings. They're doing the same thing that I was saying House of the Dragons does, which I think is very smart. Like they've given us the Harfoots, so they've, we've got our sort of like hobbity characters. We've got our elves. We've got our dwarves. We've got man. We've got like the setup. We've got we've got uh, Sauron. We've got the like to your point, you know, you see an elf and a dwarf having a contentious relationship and you're like, well, that feels like Lord of the Rings to me. So they're giving us all the things that we want. It looks gorgeous. 
I mean, yeah. every single bit of the money that they are spending is on screen. And I just do sort of, you know, coming back from Burning Man, I kind of did two episodes of House of the Dragon and two episodes of Lord of the Rings back to back. And I was just sort of overwhelmed that this is what TV is for us now. <laughs> like this is this is what we get sitting on our couches. And it's insane that we're getting that. Um, well, it's not what we get with everything. It's, it's not what we get. Well, that is true. That is true. But I'm glad that for these two, we get it. Um, I, I, It's a slower burn. It's a slower setup. But part of that feels like Lord of the Rings to me. Lord of the Rings always has this... Even when I read Lord of the Rings, it feels... Um, heavier you've got to really plod through it like it's a little bit like reading an actual history book where you're like okay this is all right yes and then we're going to get into great detail about every single one of these things and then we get to the good stuff so it almost it feels like watching lord of the rings and the fact that this is slower like i agree with you that house of the dragons right off the bat as we were just saying like you dive in and you're like well what does this mean and who's this and what is Otto doing and allison is going to do this but what is viserys going to do and rhaenyra should do this oh look that's the white stag she saw the white stag it wasn't the white stag and we get very very invested and with 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 lord of the rings we're like okay this is really pretty i see everyone slowly coming together and this is okay you're in the you're in the water and you're dealing with the the hippie who just fell out of the sky and you went into the cave and the creepy people took you away and okay, I got it. I see what's going on. But we don't really have that um, drive yet. Now, they're going to have to get there at some point. Like at some point, we're going to have to like, as these groups come together and we sort of get the big, this is the scope of the season, we're going to have to drop in and be like, well, now I'm really, really into it. So I think it's going to be the next couple episodes are going to be really interesting to see how quickly the pace moves. Um, but it's like a warm blanket to me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like it's like wrapping yourself in the warm blanket of Middle Earth just feels nice. And the whole world is shot in such a lush, wonderful way that it just feels nice watching it, even when you're like, eh, it's a little bit slow. <laughs> well, and you definitely see the progression of where this younger Galadriel could theoretically hook up with the Kate Blanchett Galadriel. You know, Elrond yeah, know- is different. Yeah, but it's interesting. Like, I elves are long lived, and you know, I mean, I see. We'll we'll talk about criticism, I guess, in a second. I guess we can't avoid talking about idiots on social media. But you know, I saw I've seen some critiques that like this more active Galadriel doesn't feel like the more uh, stoic Galadriel. But it's kind of like, and 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 uh, and they've said this. The creators have said this, and the an actress has said this. It's like, well, yeah, but this is the journey. Like, she went through all this stuff and had all this... She learned a lot to get to there, and I totally buy that. Um, I also... I mean, I think most of our viewers agree with this, but I think you just have to say it. Uh, it really doesn't matter what color you are when you're a hobbit or an elf or a dwarf in a made-up universe, and it's fine. And people who are, like, having this whole, this isn't what Tolkien uh, wanted it to be, or this isn't what Tolkien pictured, and that's not how he described it in the books, like, just shut up. Yeah, the amount of people going at Neil Gaiman saying, you know, we deserve the Lord, you know, we deserve you to do a good Lord of the Rings show, not realizing that Neil Gaiman has nothing to do with it. Neil Gaiman's just sort of chiming in, being like, yeah, Yeah. I I, I disagree with you. I think you're wrong. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it is is high time that we let this idea that our made-up universes have to have the same racial issues that we have in real life. Like, they're made-up universes for a reason, and let's make them a little bit better. So, uh, yeah, so that, that enough said about that. But um, why don't we take a quick break? Because we have to have all of our breaks in before we talk about Andor. Hey, 
There it was. That was hey! <laughs> that was stronger that time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Why are we live with StreamYard up there? You know, I out. don't know. I probably hit the wrong button. There we go. That There we go. I got it. <laughs> all right. Let's, we'll cut that part out. Uh, all right. So we're back. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, as, a, as we are recording this, it is Disney Plus Day. Uh, Disney Plus has a whole bunch of new things that have uh, come out. Uh, we've got our live action Pinocchio is now there for people to see. We've got Thor Love and Thunder now available on Disney Plus. We have a brand new series of cartoons um, from Pixar and Cars. And as part of Disney Plus Day, oh, we have the uh, behind-the-scenes look at the making of Obi-Wan Kenobi. We have a behind-the-scenes look on Thor Love and Thunder. And we have a nine-minute look behind the scenes of Andor. Um, So obviously, we've been talking about Andor. Every time a trailer is dropped, we've been talking about it. Um, Shannon, what did you think of this new first look? Any new stuff that you liked? Was it more of the same? What are you feeling about it? More of the same in all the best ways. Um, I actually went and saw, I guess, yeah, it would have been why you were gone. Rogue One has been in IMAX, and they're playing that that nine minutes before the movie. And so, one, going in and experiencing that movie again in an IMAX, in an IMAX theater, Rogue One is just so damn good. Like, it's just such a well-done movie. But then getting to see that nine minutes ahead of time, which, you know, I went ahead and rewatched it again this morning. um, I'm just so excited. I mean, you know, we've all really enjoyed, I I think, um, we've all really enjoyed some of the Disney Plus Star Wars offerings. I think across the board, everyone seems to be on board with The Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett. You know, people had... People had their their issues, and and the same with Obi Wan, and and to a lesser extent, Bad Batch. I mean, Bad Batch took a minute to get going, um, but I think everyone is into that world. They're into those characters. Um, Andor really feels like something special, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that is just Tony Gilroy, if that is the way that this was shot, and that they are not using the volume. The fact that they did do a bunch of location shooting this looks like a real world um and it seems like a a real world with real stakes and it's just really exciting like bringing back diego luna and getting you know we got a glimpse of this character in in rogue one and now knowing that we're going to start with him as a kid and how they call this a a migrant story growing up being displaced in the world of the empire. Um, It's just exciting storytelling territory. And I don't think it was in, it wasn't in the nine minutes, but Tony Gilroy did give an interview because I guess the original idea for the show was it was going to be Cassian and, and K2SO just kind of on adventures and, you know, good for him to his point. He's like, how long can you sustain that? He's like, he's like, as a pair, they're great. He's like, but how long can you really sustain that? Like, what if we go back a little bit further and we go back to the beginnings of Cassian? Like this just feels, it just feels, it feels familiar, but it feels different. And the theme of the day, it's the theme of the day. (laughs) Um, it, it, it just looks so good. And that extended scene between Cassian and Stellan Skarsgård's character 
where he starts to he he's kind of laying the trap for Cassian saying, you know, you know, basically poking him for answers. Like, are you going to tell me what I need to hear? Are you the guy? Are you the guy that I've been looking for? And just the sort of when they get into the action, when they get into the blaster fight, sort of the frenetic nature of the environment. Like, I feel like that's something we have not gotten yet with most of the Disney Plus series. Maybe Mandalorian season one a little bit. Maybe episode three where they do have that that gunfight on Navarro. But there's just something so the stakes just feel so high in this in this series from the premise right from the beginning and that new villain that new imperial villain the blonde woman um seems she just has that quiet menace that i think ben mendelson really did a great job with in rogue one so Andor seems like it's going to be dynamite yeah i have high expectations i'm with you i have high expectations i think that um and I know that there's going to be a section of social media that gets super mad about this. Um, but I think to your point about doing this version of Andor versus Cassie and Andor and K2SO just running around doing adventures, it's about something. Like, yeah. I, I, there, just, there just seems to be this... Um, this uh, Tony Gilroy just has this confidence when he talks about what he's doing. Like, he says in the nine-minute piece, he's like, this is, we're filling in this five years of Star Wars. Like, this five years of Star Wars and this part of the history of the Empire, we're filling in the gaps here. And by making it a migrant story, by making it about a character that was displaced and didn't know and and, and kind of went on this journey to stand up for himself, um, there's definitely overtones and parallels that people are going to make about the world that we live in today. And some people are going to absolutely hate that. And some people are going to absolutely love it. But I think that when you're doing Star Wars, when we live in this era where we want to just sort of have all of these air, uh, stories being told in a galaxy far, far away, you can absolutely tell a story where a guy and his droid and his alien and a girl and whoever get in a ship and go to hyperspace and there's a MacGuffin and they got to get the MacGuffin and you got to avoid the Empire and you got to do it and it's super fun. But when you tell a story that actually has meat on the bones, it's like about a little bit more than that and you use all the pieces of Star Wars to tell a story that feels a little bit more, um, that's always more powerful. And it kind of feels to me like that's where Andor is headed. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, kind of to your point. I don't think that... I I love the extended scene between um, Luna and Skarsgård. I thought, like, you just... Again, you just saw two really great actors just bouncing off of each other, and the the energy was really electric. Um, Beyond that, I don't think we saw anything that was new... But everything that we saw was just more of the same, and it's really the hype train has uh, has hit warp speed. Like we are, we are, we are in it. Has, has I'm sorry, has hit hyperspace, not warp speed. <laughs> Don't want to get yelled at. Don't want to get yelled at about that one. But like, like we are, we are in it. So uh, hotly, hotly anticipating this one. Yeah, and it will be coming out in what two weeks? I believe. Yeah, a little less than two, two weeks. weeks. It's se- September 21st. Woo! And they're opening with three episodes. Ooh, good thing Johnny gonna be better by then. We got a lot to cover. <laughs> so I think we should probably take a little break before we get into our abbreviated main topic of what I would do with the, the future of DC by Michael Vogel. We'll be right back. Do, 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 do
Well done. I'll take it. That's my that's my theme. It's my theme. So we found out a little bit ago. Uh, DC is is trying to find their Kevin Feige, which you know, kudos for them that they're actually being upfront about this, being like, you know what, we need we need our guy like that to really kick this thing into high gear. And it seemed like for a minute that uh, for a minute it was going to be Dan Lin, who is a producer, has his uh, own company called Rideback. He has worked on you know the Lego movies. Um, but it came out that he is not going to be taking the job. It seemed like part of it was uh, Rideback had a deal with Universal, and to get that over to Warner Brothers was going to present some challenges. Other folks, different sources say he just outright rejected the job. Either way, he's not going to be the guy. Now, if you have been with us for, what, however many, three years now, you know that uh, along with being a, uh, a uh, entertaining uh, podcaster, Mike Vogel, he's a pretty good writer. And is a big DC fan and has had Although it some... doesn't seem like it on the Geek Buddies. <laughs> Correction. He's a big DC Comics fan. <laughs> um, but has had some uh, strong thoughts, some good ideas about where potentially DC could go. Uh, a way to get their a way to get their train back on the tracks. So I'll turn it over to him. At this point, Vogel. What do you, what would you do? You're stepping into this job. Well, I know um, you said. Who, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead, who, go ahead. Who do you keep? Do you keep anybody, or is it a complete blank slate? What do you do? Well, I mean, I think first of all, I know you said when we started this. Uh, first of all, this is a silly topic, and I, uh, I I don't know that I actually am in a position where I deserve to take over things at DC. But John Roca tweeted this, and we are going to talk about it. But rather than like just flooding you with all of my geek opinions. Um, you know, you said at the beginning, well, we're going to take all the roadblocks out of the way, but I think what's interesting. And I think I know that the ride back thing is a big part of why Dan Lin, um, backed out of the whole thing. Um, but I think that I've heard from a few people that a lot of people who are being approached are not touching this with a 10 foot pole because of David Zasloff. And because it feels like uh, they're not going to put the money behind this that they need to, like he says he's got, he says he's going to put together a ten year plan for DC, and he says he has these big aspirations and he wants DC to be like uh, like Marvel is for Disney, but thus far his actions have not reflected that. And if you're coming into a creative position, you know Kevin Feige lucked out with Bob Iger and, Di- and Disney. Um, you know Bob Iger had Feige's back. When Marvel didn't really have Feige's back, when Feige was like, I want to do Shang-Chi, I want to do Captain Marvel, I want to do this, I want I want Black Panther, I want to really diversify Marvel, uh, Disney was on his side. So part of stepping into these positions when you're actually really considering it is looking at the lay of the land and are you going to get supported or not? And I think that most people looking at Warner Brothers Discovery right now aren't feeling like they're going to be supported. Um, but then so when you're you passing, in, you're passing is what you're saying. So I'm passing. Great show, everybody. No, <laughs> but so assuming you do go in, um, you know, there, there, like I, I do have an opinion, you know, when I, even when I worked at Hasbro, Hasbro has always had conversations. Like I think most companies do about shared universes and how do you build a shared universe? And ultimately that's what Marvel did. Now DC has sort of split the difference over time. They've like, Oh, well, we're going to do a shared universe. Oh, we're not going to do a shared universe. We're going to have like auteur directors come in and do their thing. When you look, just from a financial dollars and cents standpoint, when you look at Marvel being the most successful movie franchise like in history because they are a shared universe, were it me, I would put DC on that train. 
Uh, I might have a couple outliers. I mean, I'm not going to tell Matt Reeves he can't do what he's going to do. Like, you're going to let Matt Reeves continue with his Batman thing. But you really need to consolidate and you really need to let your audiences know, like, this is where we're going. And I think that one of the things I talked about at Hasbro when we would have these meetings and one of the things I think I've talked about on here and I think where the proof is in the pudding with Marvel is what Warner Brothers tries has tried to do thus far is let's just get each one of our heroes up and running to varying success. Um, but part of that, there's no bigger story there. I mean, arguably there was vaguely a let's get to Justice League but they rushed it so quickly between Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, Justice League that you didn't really feel like we were on a journey. So I think like rule number one is patience. Rule number two is uh, persistence. And rule number three is like a goalpost. And so what I mean about that is like, you got to be patient. Like you can't like, like, and I don't think that Warner Brothers has the appetite for this, but you have to come in and say, if we're going to do this, this is the 10-year plan. And you can't change the 10-year plan three years in. Because once you do that, you're back to square one. If you want a 10-year plan, you need the 10-year plan. Um, And then you have to have the persistence to carry it through even when things don't perform great. Like even when you have an Iron Man 2 or a Thor the Dark World. Like you've got to say, I know, Shannon, I know you love Thor the Dark World more than me. But there was a few things in like those first couple phases of Marvel where if it was a different studio... They would have been, ah, I don't think this is working. Let's rethink this. But for the betterment of everybody, even though Iron Man 2 and Thor 2 are not my favorite Marvel movies, they, okay, maybe you stumbled a little bit, but you kept going in the same direction. Um, so you've got to put together a slate. You've got to keep that slate. And then you pick your goalpost. Uh, now, that goalpost can be dark side. That goalpost can be uh, a crisis on infinite Earths, which is kind of, you know, it can be Flashpoint. It can be whatever. But you've got to, like, let the audience know that this is the goal and then drop the Easter eggs along the way. Um, So those are, like, the broad strokes that I think it sounds super easy. I think that most people listening to this who are comic book fans or geek fans, like, are all like, yeah, Vogel, that makes sense. I can tell you from experience that when you are in a corporate meeting and you say those things, you are met with uh, a lot of resistance, which sounds shocking, but you are. Like, where you're like, well, that's one way to do it, but there's other ways to do it. And you're like, okay, well, what are the other ways to do it? And you end up with, like, no solid answer, which is kind of where I think Warner Brothers is. Now, shockingly, to your actual question of, like, who would I keep <laughs> and who would stay, um, as kind of toward to, to the have patience and have persistence, Henry Cavill... Not my favorite Superman. I don't think he's a bad actor at all. I just And maybe he just hasn't had the right material. Maybe Man of Steel just isn't really my jam. But I would do anything to get Henry Cavill back. Like, I would go and say, look, we, we started a world. We got a little wonky in there. But let's lean into the mess. Like, things were messy for a while. And Superman was absent. Let's really have Superman come back into the fold here. Let's sort of explain where Superman was. Let's do something. Let's create a big event. Uh, I'd keep I'd keep Momoa. I'd keep uh, Gal. Um, I think that Batfleck has had his day. I like the Michael Keaton plan. I don't know where it's going to go post-Flash, but I like this idea that Keaton is coming in as kind of a Batman from a different world and that Batfleck kind of goes his way because I don't think we need two Batman running around. Um, So I like that idea. So I kind of like, I think the first thing you do is you say, okay, who are we keeping? Ezra Miller, 
I don't envy Warner Brothers' choices here. I mean, like, by all intents that we've heard and what everyone is hearing, like, that movie is a banger. That movie is great. That's why they have Ezra going on the apology tour. Keeping him around would be a tough one for me. Like, I, I kind of feel like you might want to have that version of Barry make a very noble sacrifice <laughs> and then have a younger, newer Flash come in as quickly as possible and just clear that deck. Would uh, you bring in another Barry or would you bring in a Wally West? Maybe. I think you could do a Wally West. I think you could. I think that's what you need to do. I think you just need to, whether they did it at the end of Flashpoint or whether they did it in like the very next movie they did, like a, a Justice League setup movie or in someone else's movie, I would have that Barry go the way of the dodo real quick and uh, get a Wally West or somebody else in there. Um, I would, I would revive Batgirl. I, I don't know. Like, like the first thing that I would want if I took over that Warner Brothers job is I would want to see the Batgirl movie. Show me Batgirl. Show me how bad it is. Like, let me see, let me see for myself if this is as good or as bad as you say. And then if there's anything worth anything in that movie, if it actually has any kind of merit, I'd be like, all right, let's rethink this and get Batgirl back on track. Like I would Mm -hmm. get her back into the fold. I would set up Green Lantern um, in a way that is more integrated into this. And I would build to like a brand new Justice League. You know, I think that like the actual, the Justice League movie or movies that we have, whether that be the Joss version or the Zack version, I think existed. I think like the, the main thing I would do is even the movies I don't like, I would like, they existed. They happen. I can't make them disappear. So you keep all that stuff as history. You keep all that stuff. Maybe you do a little bit of recasting. I'd probably recast Lex Luthor. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but um, you keep all the stuff that happened warts and all you say, all right, well, all right, Lex Luthor made Doomsday for some reason and it was kind of weird and okay, that happened. So I'm not going to like erase it and say, let's do our Doomsday story. Like if there's another Doomsday, it's going to come out of what happened in that movie, whether I like it or not. So I would sort of build from where you are. And I think if you had one or two home runs with movies that really got people excited, people would people would forgive it. Like it's a little bit bigger than an Iron Man 2 or a Thor 2. There's definitely a history. There's a section of DC that we're just like, oh, this was really rough. But I think you keep it all and you build from there. Now, does that mean that I'm in the Snyderverse or not in the Snyderverse? I don't know. I don't think that really. I think at a certain point, it just becomes the DC universe and it is what it is. But I think that's what you do. I think that's how you do it. Like, I think that the mistake that studios make and the mistake and the thing that Marvel does not do is... They don't just erase. I mean, looking at like She-Hulk in these past few weeks, like I don't think for most people, uh, Edward Norton's The Hulk movie is a top tier Marvel film. And it wasn't even officially a Marvel Marvel film because of the Hulk Universal deal. But Emil Blonsky is running around the MCU right now and just absolutely killing it. Um, so they, they took the pieces of some of their other movies that maybe weren't the best and weren't the favorite, but they're still spinning gold out of it. And I think that despite the fact that Batman versus Superman is one of my least favorite movies, uh, and there's more that I don't like than I like about it, I would still take that as canon and spin the gold that I could out of it. Let's, let's look, let's look at where we left Lex Luthor. Let's look at where we left, uh, Deathstroke. Let's look at where we left all these characters and say, okay, if that's where we left them, if this is where we left Martian Manhunter, if this is where we left these people, where are they now? What's going on? Let's build from there. Okay. Okay. Ray Fisher, bring him back. 
I would want to sit down with Ray Fisher and have a long conversation. But uh, yeah, I think so. All right. Well, Vogel, this has been fascinating. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's uh, I guess that is our show for this week. Um, you all, please reach out to uh, please reach out to the outlaw. Let him know that you hope he uh, let you let him know that you hope he feels better. And let him know that the two of us should never be in charge of doing this by ourselves again. It's very stressful, guys. It's very stressful. He makes it look easy, but it's uh, being the outlaw is not easy. I mean, when I, when he was going through, I'm like, okay, I I basically get this, but there is a seamless nature that that John has now that you know I certainly do not. <laughs> so yes, that is our show for this week. Uh, so I'm trying to think, how does John and Shannon, what do we like to tell him? Well, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon, the geek buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK tune. If you would like to follow the absent Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca says. Um, and if you like watching us two idiots do what we're doing without John, or if more importantly, you like it when all three idiots are all together, uh, here are some things that you guys can do for us. Definitely um, hit that like button below. Really important. And subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content that he's got here. Uh, tons of good stuff with us, with others, with everybody under the sun. Um, there's a whole lot of content here. Leave your comments below. I mean, we talked about a lot of things today. Like, what do you think about those trailers? How are you feeling about House of the Dragon? How are you feeling? about Lord of the Rings? Are you excited about Andor? And what would you guys do with the DC Universe? Because who the fuck am I? Like, just let us know what you would do down below. Um, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere podcasts are available, go ahead and leave us uh, some comments. Give us some stars so that we go up in the rankings so more people find us. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, and tell your friends to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. And as always, thank you so much to Carbon Health. If you're feeling under the weather, if you're feeling like you need to go and, and get checked out, Carbon Health has a bunch of locations. And uh, yeah, I, I have been to Carbon Health and I was in and out in about five minutes because they were just incredibly efficient and incredibly kind. Well, there you go. Hey. Um, thank you guys so much. And uh, again, as Shannon said, let's all wish the outlaw a ve get well very soon so that you guys don't have to deal with just the two of us. And we will see you hopefully with John next time on a brand new episode of The Geek Buddies! What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, 
April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.